Good morning. Good to see everybody here. The weather took a little turn. We're a little cold today, but that's okay because it's not snowing. First reminder about the Connect card. They're in the pocket on the back of the seat in front of you. If you have any praises, we'd love to hear good things that are going on. And if you have any prayers, you or anyone you know, we'd love you to share those also. <coughs> we have people who pray for those requests, and we're here for you. First, before anything else, and before I forget, thank you to everyone who helped with Ann Watson's funeral last week. There were 30 or more people who helped, and it was a great turnout of helpers. It was also a great turnout of people. And from Ann's family, a sincere thank you to everyone who made them feel welcome and who put on such a beautiful event, I guess you would call it, for their mom and their sister and friend. It was very much appreciated. Okay, second Sunday of the month. So we have the box out there for the capital gains contribution campaign thing. Um, if you would not mind, when you, if you're doing a check for that, would you please specify in the memo line that it is for the capital campaign? It just makes it easier for the bookkeeper. Today is youth group following service. Um, I don't know what they're doing, but it sounds like it's always fun. Tomorrow is the senior lunch. If you are able, please come and join us. It's a great time of fellowship, and the food is really good. So if you are available, and there's no specificity about senior age, I, I, I can. If anybody was wondering, change of date for senior lunch in March. It will be the 18th instead of the 11th. Kim is going to be reminding us in her emails, but just from personal experience, you might want to start putting sticky notes around your house now to remind yourself. It's a thing. Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. The sanctuary will be open from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. for prayer and self-reflection. Please feel free to use it if you just want a time of quiet to communicate with the Lord. And we have out in the back also these devotionals, the Lenten devotionals. Help yourself take one and check it out. If you re requested a copy of the directory, Kim had them out there. They had your name on. If you still need one, you can email her, call the office, or just talk to her during church. Now a serious note. These are very troubling times that we're living in. There is war in the U Ukraine, war in the Middle East, and unrest everywhere. Innocent people are being injured and killed, and it seems to get worse every single day. And our country is in such turmoil, it's unbelievable, both socially and politically. So from the second book of Chronicles, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. God responds to prayer. Please pray for the world and for our country. It's hugely important. Thank you. Uh, good morning. Will you please stand with us? In lines of what she was just saying, uh, you know, to center ourselves, center our, our thoughts as we seek God and uh, just feel, you know, in this moment as we center ourselves and, and seek God. Oh, Christ, be the center of our lives. Be the place we fix our eyes. Be the center of our lives. You're the center of the universe, everything was made in you. Jesus, the breath of every living thing, everyone was made for you. You hold everything together, you hold everything together. Oh, Christ, be the center of our lives. Be the place we fix our eyes. Be the center of our lives. Oh, Christ, be the center of our lives. Be the place we fix our eyes. 
You're the center of the universe. Everything was made in you. Jesus, breath of every living thing. Everyone was made for you. You hold everything together. You hold everything together. Oh Christ, be the center of our lives. Be the place we fix our eyes. Be the center of our lives. Oh Christ, be the center of our lives, be the place we fix our eyes, be the center of our lives, center of our lives. And we lift our eyes to heaven, and we wrap our lives around your life we lift our eyes to heaven to you and we lift our eyes to heaven and we wrap our lives around your life we lift our eyes to heaven to you And turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace amen let the king of my heart be the mountain where i run the fountain i drink from Oh, is my song. Let the King of my heart be the shadow where I hide. The ransom for my life. Oh, is my song. Cause you are good, good. Oh, you are You're never gonna let, 
never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, never gonna let me down. And when the night is holding on to me, God is holding on. And when the night is holding on to me, God is holding on. God, I just thank you for that. It seems like the night holds on a lot. But we know you are holding on. And it, it does seem like there's a lot of trouble in the world, and, but we know the source of all peace. We know the way maker. You have a plan for our lives no matter what's going on around us. So we can trust in you. We can fix our eyes on you. And I pray for that this morning. You are here moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you are here working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. You are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. You are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. You are here, touching every heart. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, healing every heart. I worship you. I worship you. You are here. Turning lives around, I worship you, I worship you. You are here, bending every heart. I worship you, I worship you. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. 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 Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Never stop. Never stop working, never stop, never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Never stop, never stop working. You never stop, never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, never stop working. You never stop, never stop working. Waymaker. Miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. 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 I see your face. In every sunrise, the colors of the morning 
your eyes. The world awakens in the light of the day. I look up to the sky and say, you're beautiful. I see your power in the moonlit night. When planets are in motion and galaxies are bright We are amazed in the light of the stars It's all proclaiming who you are You're beautiful You're beautiful I see you there hanging on a tree you bled and then you died and then you rose again for me. Now you are sitting on your heavenly throne. And soon we will be coming home. You're beautiful. When we arrive at eternity shore. Where death is just a memory and tears are no more. We as the wedding bells sing. Your bride will come together and we'll sing. You're beautiful. I see your face. You're beautiful. You're beautiful, you're beautiful. Oh, oh, oh. I see your face, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. I see your face. This morning's scripture is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 11, or 8 through 11. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together this morning. Thank you for this nation where we can worship you freely. Thank you for this building where we can gather. Thank you for Pastor Mark, Shelley, and all the leadership that you have placed here to teach us and help us learn more of you. Thank you for each other, our brothers and sisters in this church family that we learn to live life with. And when our lives are tricky, complicated and uncertain, we can gather together and lift our prayers to you. Lord, 
Your word says, in me you will have peace. In this world is trouble. Take courage, I have overcome the world. We lift up our troubles to you, Lord. Our heartaches, bodies in need of healing, financial worries, relationships, frustrations over things that seem so unfair. Your word says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. May we have complete trust and confidence in you alone. May we not be distracted by Satan's deceptive ways, the flirtations of the world that seem to satisfy. No, Lord, may we bring our focus on faith in you alone. Our God who knows exactly what we're going through. Our God who provides our every need. Our just and righteous God who only acts for our good. Our God who is holding the universe together yet somehow collects all of our tears. Lord, you ask Sarah, is anything too difficult for the Lord? And Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. May we continue to grow in our faith and seek only you. And may you continue to grant us peace. We lift all our prayers to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I got busy talking. I know you find that hard to believe. I was out visiting people instead of doing what I should be doing. Uh, today we're going to be finishing up in Nehemiah, uh, chapter 12 and 13. If you want to turn your Bibles there, that's fine. We're, when we do get to different verses and stuff, they'll be up on the screens, but in case you want to uh, see what's happening around it. Um, if you've ever had, if you've ever watched, if you've even heard of these things called children, then you will know if you take your eyes off of them for even a moment, all sorts of mayhem ensues. Years ago, my wife and I were buying a piece of property. We were going to make our home up there, and, and, and we had gone up. It was, a, it was a late fall, early winter day. It was a little rainy, a little wet and stuff. The kids were little, and, and they're was, there was somewhat asleep in the back seat. We had a Plymouth Horizon. That thing could go through anything. And, and we pulled in. The driveway was already in it, but it was a little bit of an incline. And the two littlest, Mark and Katie, are in their five-point harnesses. And, you know, they're a little reclined. When you're on a driveway, you're even reclined more. So they're, like, out. And that's cool. We're just going to get out of the car. And, Shell, I want to show you where we're going to set the house and how we're going to do this. My wife is very, uh, doesn't have that vision. She needs to see it. What's it called uh, when you have to touch it? Um, Tactile, tactile learners. She's more tactile than I am. So we got to get out. You got to see the place. Okay, all right. So we pull in, we park, and like I said, a little bit of an incline, take the keys out, stuff them in my pocket, and we go walking up. And we didn't want to take the kids also because the land hadn't been cleared yet. There's still brush, silky dogwood, red twig dogwood all throughout there, and, and unlevel. So we're just going to walk. And I swear, five minutes, maybe that long, and I hear something. And I turn around and look in the driveway. There ain't no car there. I pat my pocket. I got the keys. What's going on? In the ditch on the other side of the street is the car. I go out to the car. Everything seems okay. Look, nobody's moved. They're all where they're supposed to be. I just thought, well, it must have popped out of gear. Maybe it was on that too much of an incline, and that happened. No, no, oh, no, 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 no. Later on, we learn that my son Mark had unbuckled himself from his five-point harness, got into the front seat, and he had seen people drive, so he was pretending to drive, and part of that was moving the shifter from park to neutral. Down he rolls into the ditch on the other side of the road. So Marky drove for the first time at age four. 
And since he ended up in a ditch, it was his mother who taught him. So we were out of the car like five whole minutes, and mayhem ensues. I think that's what Nehemiah must have felt like when he returned to Jerusalem in like chapter 13. We're finishing up by, like I said, that, that look at Nehemiah today. And many people look at that book of Nehemiah as a leader's only book, right? Oh, this is how you should lead people. This is what a leader does, and this is how it's to look like. And while I readily admit there are lessons in there <coughs> for leaders, um, it's not the sole teaching of what we can find in this historical record. Today, we're going to look a little bit out of the eyes of Nehemiah to see what happens when, well, when we and they got too comfortable with their faith, when we aren't purposeful, when we're kind of casual, when we aren't watchful, when we're complacent, I guess is the word. Well, the celebration uh, of the completion of the walls, the towers, the gates, the establishing of the temple activities is full underway. That's in chapter 12. You can read about how Nehemiah had gotten two different choirs together and had them, one start this way and one start that way. And they circled the entire wall and they met back at the front gates of the temple, at the church doors, if you will. He also hired a band, an orchestra to play. He had all sorts of things. Other people came, came out. He had gotten the leaders of the uh, of the city, the leaders, the priests, the Levites, all these people came together. The entire community gathers, political, social, economic, and faith, all celebrating together, all ending up at the front of God's house. Can you imagine that in our world today? I think the closest we get might be Christmas, but even that is less and less ending up at the church door. During this time of celebration, all people participated, it says. All folks. In fact, the text says, and on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. That fact there that, that it pointed out that women and children were noted, means this was not a men's only celebration. There were times when the assembly got together where it was segregated, okay? Just saying it the way it was, right? Men met, ladies, you stay home with the kiddos. No, this was everybody. Y'all come. Everybody come together. Everybody's here. Community gathered, all participated, all worshiped, all rejoiced, all, the entire community. Also, I want you to notice that there it says, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. They didn't rejoice because of their own effort, their work. They didn't rejoice because of what they did. It was because God had given. Now, they realized that all that had been accomplished was by and through God. Well, they may have lifted the stone, they may have held the trowel, they may have put the mortar in, they may have set the post. God provided the stone. God provided the strength. God provided the protection. God had given them great joy. Again, I wonder, in our times of celebrations and birthdays, anniversaries, job promotions, you pick whatever celebration you want. Do we, do, do I, spend time realizing that God provided the joy of that celebration? As a community, as a country, do we give God thanks for the joy we have? Or do we pat ourselves on the back for our own hard work? Do we cheer on elected officials for the joy they have given us? I understand that we live in a secular society, a post-Christian era. So we may never see a political leader stand up and lead a choir or two around the city walls and end up in front of the church. That's why it's all the more necessary and important that we as individuals and families come to church together to enter into God's presence in thanksgiving, in worship, in praise, in adoration, in unity, in joy. Enough on the social commentary. After the celebration, Nehemiah appoints a few people in places of leadership, or at least some prestige and, and influence in the temple and in society. In Nehemiah 12, it says, at that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms 
for the contributions, first fruits and tithes, from the fields around the towns, they were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did also the musicians and gatekeepers, according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. He's referring back to next no, it's all good. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, uh, David, uh, if you read any of the Psalms, you'll see that some of them will say David's name, some will say Asaph, some will say sons of Korah, things like that. So one of the guys who helped write the Psalms, the songs and stuff. Um, there had been directors for the musicians for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So in the days of Zerubbabel and, ne and of Nehemiah, all Israel contributed the daily portions for the musicians and the gatekeepers. They also set aside the portions for the other Levites, and the Levites set aside the portions for the descendants of Aaron. In other words, everything that came into the temple, everything that was given, took care of, uh, uh, of the singers, of the musicians, took care of the priests who were uh, ministering, took care of all of that, took care of their families, and, and, and took care of all the things that were necessary. They did all that. It seems like everything's going well, right? Here at the end of chapter 12, things are going good. <laughs> but wait, there's one more chapter. That's right, unlucky 13. I'm going to skip the first part of it. In a literary device, what Nehemiah did here was he lays something out, he says something, and then he says, but I wasn't there for that. He then tells where he was and what he was doing. In our modern sense, we might call it a flashback sequence, all right? So let's start in order. We're going to start with that flashback. Nehemiah had asked King Artaxerxes if he could go to Jerusalem for a while. That's back in chapter 2. Hey, you mind if I go to Jerusalem? Things, bad things are going on there. I need your help. Uh, can you sign these letters for me? And he goes, right? In chapter 13, it says, But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. 32nd year. Way back, Nehemiah 1, verse 1. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, 12 years had passed. He had been in Jerusalem for about 12 years doing this, helping rebuild. Now, I'm sure he sent back letters and messages, right? He sent back reports informing how things were going. So the king knew, and at least the upper structure, right, of management knew what was going on there. Tax monies had probably been sent back, and other requests also asked for. So it wasn't like Nehemiah fell off the face of the earth or anything. But Nehemiah had said he would return. After I'm done, I'm going to come back. He made that promise in chapter 2 to both the king and queen. So the work he sets out to do was accomplished. And back he goes to Babylon to keep his word to the king. Now, he must have stayed in the court for about a year. The text doesn't say exactly. We don't have there how long. But in most of the folks that I was looking at and reading, they say it's about a year, uh, more or less. It says some days. I spent my days there. We don't have an exact number, but, it, but most people think it must have been a year or so. It was some time. Not like five years, not like a long time, but some time. And the other reason they say about a year is because what he had to go back and clean up took a little bit of time. So at the end of this time, he again asks the king, can I go back to Jerusalem? And he gives it, and off he goes. Just like children that are left unattended or poorly supervised, mayhem had broken out. We could spend our time looking at all the things that had gone wrong. The priests and Levites not being given a portion, so they neglected their service to God and went back to the fields to work so they could feed their families. Or the priest who gave over a storeroom or three to this guy named Tobiah. Yeah, the Tobiah who had been persecuting them when they were building the wall. Tobiah who was not Jewish and so had no business being in the temple. He had been given a couple storerooms as sort of a vacation villa for him to go and reside in when he was visiting Jerusalem. The text said, um, that the priest who was in charge was closely associated with Tobiah. Some feel that he may have been either the son-in-law or brother-in-law of Tobiah himself. So he had married outside of the faith. Or how people 
were working on the Sabbath. I know in our day and age, we, we may view this differently, but not that many years before these folks, these folks had signed a document swearing to keep God's law, swearing to keep the Sabbath day holy, which means no working on holy day, okay? But they had gone out and done it anyways. You can read the chapter yourself and see a bunch of the other stuff. Nehemiah must have been exasperated by this. For the text records records that not once, but three times he says this type of prayer. Remember me for this, my God. He prays after he cleans up a certain portion of a mess that they have done, a certain portion of the mayhem. Remember me for this, my Lord, my God. <coughs> it sounds like something I may have heard my wife utter after a long day with the kids. I think I may have heard something like it come out of my daughter's mouth with her four children. I'm sure there's a couple of you out there who may have said something like it. It's a prayer for strength. It's a cry to heaven pleading for understanding. I just left him alone for five minutes, and then all this, Lord, give me strength. With children, while we may not like it, we can at least understand it a bit, right? They, by nature, are curious. They're exploring their world. They're boundary pushers. And left to their own devices, <laughs> mayhem. But we're talking about folks here. Folks who had built a wall in record time. Remember back 50-some-odd days, they had finished it up to about four, uh, half its height, it says. The walls were some 20 feet tall, so 10 feet tall in 50 days. Two-and-a-half-mile stretch of wall. That's a lot. People who had celebrated God's hand over and on them. People who had pledged their lives to live for God. And yet, in about a year's time, had forgotten all of it. Mayhem had ensued. What happened? What happened? Well, we don't have a, a clear scriptural text for it. It's not recorded. I think in brief, the people in charge did not keep up the guidance and integrity that Nehemiah and Ezra had exhibited and called the people to. They had put other folks in charge, and other folks had said, oh, that's okay, you can do that. Tobiah, you can have those couple rooms even though they knew they shouldn't have. The priests in charge of the storerooms had given those places away. The grain, the wine, and the other offerings, the portions that were to be given to the Levites, the musicians, and the singers were not being distributed. We can, get, we can try to guess why. Well, those storerooms where they're supposed to be stored, Tobiah's in there. Where are you going to put it? And maybe even the folks who were doing that said, well, you know, I really need this for my family. And it got a little lax. The portions weren't given out. Some of the giving was being neglected by the folks as well. The guards at the gates were letting people sell goods and break the Sabbath laws. The, lead, the leaders either failed in their duties or worse, were profiting by turning a blind eye. What does this have to do with you and me? I've already had my social commentary say, so we're going to get past that. The scripture that Karen read for us earlier was from 1 Peter 5, 8, and I think it reflects a lot of what Nehemiah was going on in his head. Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Peter isn't speaking to non-believers. He's writing to Christ followers, folks who belong to God, just like these folks that Nehemiah had left in Jerusalem. Peter admonishes them to be alert and sober-minded. One translation I read said, wake up! I think that's what was happening in Nehemiah's day. The people got complacent. Life was easy. The walls were back up. No one's going to invade us. Oh, let's just rest. I mean, we've worked hard. The music played. The singers sang. They got lazy. They fell asleep in the complacency that things were okay. We can slack off a bit. After all, we didn't just build a wall. Peter's call to wake up is directed to Christians of his day and of ours. Don't get complacent. Back in the day when I was a trooper, I also was a firearms instructor. And as the recruits would come, I almost call them kids. As the recruits would come in, 
there would be a lecture one time, and I remember hearing it myself when I was in their place, what's going to get you hurt or dead on the job is getting complacent, especially at a traffic stop. A traffic stop was something you did two, three, four times a day. Not that there was quota, that would be wrong. But you did it often. And it became routine. Once it became routine, you might not notice the passenger reaching under their seat. You might not hear or see the trunk open slightly as somebody inside hit the trunk release. You might not look closely in the back seat. You might get in the path of the driver's door so they can swing it open and hit you and put you on the ground or knock you into traffic. Getting complacent can get you dead. And that's what was happening to the people in Jerusalem. And it can happen to you and me. Wake up. Be alert and of sober mind. Calls us to not be lazy in our faith. The command is to maintain discipline and steadfastness in our faith. I've been a Christian for a couple decades, almost five to be exact. I know I can be lazy in my faith. I know that at times, to encourage people to like me, I have let down my steadfastness of my faith. I know that if I'm not wakeful in my faith, I can let my mouth say things that are purposefully hurtful. I know that if I'm not diligent, my humor can be seen as hindering Christ's work, especially when sarcasm turns from a friendly jibe to a hurtful backhand. I need to be alert. It's not that I silence God's voice in my life. I just, I just turn it down a little and let my own voice, my weaknesses, my need to be liked, my need to be in charge become louder. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We who follow God don't need to silence God's voice to be victimized by our adversary. We just need to turn God's volume down and our own volume up. For our voice wants to feed our desire. Our voice is usually a soft echo of the adversary. In the garden, Eve was not out and out lied to. She just had to turn down God's voice in her head. And the rest, as they say, is history. Let me show you what I mean. Or, or maybe, maybe better yet, let me let you hear what I mean. We're going to play those songs. It's all God's children singing glory, the song you hear well, loudest is that voice of God. It's a song of praise. Well, there's some other song playing, but it's quiet and it's kind of distant. You might not hear it real well, but it becomes clearer as God's voice comes down and down. And all of a sudden, you can still hear God in the background a little bit. But you hear the other voice loud and clear now. It's crazy things you're trying to figure it out. And even though the background song is the same volume as the other, it can take over as we turn down God's volume in our life. We haven't walked away from God, per se. We still follow most of what Jesus taught. We definitely celebrate all the things we are told to celebrate. Oh, celebrating is what we do well. But those less than easy things, those somewhat hard things that God calls on our life, well, maybe not. But it's not like I'm killing anybody. I'm just, you know... Our adversary doesn't need us to silence God's voice in our life. He just needs to have us turn it down a bit and turn our own voice up. And our own voice will do the rest. This is the mayhem Nehemiah saw when he returned to Jerusalem. The people had turned God's voice down in them and among them. Nehemiah called them back. You and I are called to be Jesus' hands and feet. We are to build the kingdom of God on this earth. Struggles and setbacks are going to occur, folks. It's going to happen. 
even after great victories, the wall was built, everything is wonderful, setbacks are going to happen. Setbacks are why we trust God, the work of His Spirit in us. And that's why we need to anticipate the return of Christ and the eternal establishment of His kingdom. This week begins Lent. This would be a good time for you to look at your faith life, at your walk with God, and see where you need to wake up. Where have you gotten complacent? Well, it may not lead to physical death or injury. It will lead to a spiritual wounding. It will lead to the adversary chewing you up. I speak from firsthand knowledge. I've been there, done that. I got the t-shirt, okay? It's time to turn up the volume of God's voice in your life. It's time to stop the mayhem of living mostly godly life. You'll end up like the folks Nehemiah had to correct. Read chapter 13. You're serving up the devil a choice morsel, yourself. What are we to do about it? Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone, not something, someone, to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Turn up God's voice in your life. Be alert and on guard. Stand firm in your faith. But how? How do I stand firm? Ephesians, Paul writes, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Sounds like something we could do during this season of Lent. Taking our eyes off ourselves and focusing them on Christ. Put on the armor piece by piece. Don't skip a part. Each part is integral to the next. You need them all. Don't be complacent. Dress in order to stand firm. Don't get lazy. Don't get complacent. Be alert. Be sober-minded. Be steadfast. Paul writes again, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you are there with us. And Father, for me, for my friends, I pray that we will be alert, that we will wake up. I know sometimes life can get easy. I go there. I know it. And we can fall and say, how good am I? Father, help us to rejoice in the joy you give us. Help us to focus that you are the author of all that. Help us to stay steadfast, Father. I don't want to be chewed up by that lion, our adversary who roams around. Father, I ask forgiveness for the times I have. Help us to stay steadfast. Help us to look to you. And as we journey into Lent, Father, help us to be purposeful and mindful of all you have done for us, in us, with us, through us, and most of all, for us. We give you praise for all you have done, all you are doing, and all you will do. Will you stand with us? Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning, it's time to sing your song again, whatever may pass. 
Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, and we will be having the sanctuary open for a time of uh, your own reflection things. I would normally be here, but I have to take my dad in for some surgery on that day, so um, hopefully it'll be minor, and I'll be back before the end of the day, but uh, the sanctuary will be open. There'll be some things going on, and you can see it when you come in on the screens to partake in that. Uh, one other thing, uh, please take time at the end of this service to visit, to, to talk, to chat, to have more coffee and cookies, I know it's all out there. But if you can, uh, we are going to stack these chairs for our senior lunch tomorrow. So if you can hang out a little bit, that would be greatly appreciated. You know, uh, I think it's fitting that we end with this from First Peter. It's after, uh, after Peter uh, tells us about resisting the devil, he says this. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Have a good week. See that happen. I just... <laughs>